Hi, my name is Kate Hamill, and for some background on this podcast, I'm currently taking a course titled Medical Ecology from Alaska Native Perspectives. Medical ecology is an emerging discipline within academia that assesses how aspects of the environment impact human health. Over the course of my semester, we integrated how indigenous cultural knowledge of the environment, also known as TEK, or traditional ecological knowledge, is used to heal particular health issues within indigenous communities throughout the globe. In reference to Alaska Native medical ecology, suicide rates among Alaska Natives are triple the national average. Also, Alaska Natives are more prone to mental health issues such as alcoholism, depression, and anxiety. These can all be attributed to the colonial aspects of Western ideology, particularly within healthcare, and the existence of intergenerational trauma, both of which will be covered in the podcast. I sought out how traditional ecological knowledge is currently being used by mental health practitioners within Alaska Native communities. Luckily, I have an excellent resource in my grandfather, Bill Hogan, who is a longtime mental health professional in the state of Alaska. He connected me with Lance Johnson of Norton Sound Health Corporation, who further connected me with Josie Garner of Teller, Alaska, Elvina Turner of Unicleet, and Dr. Ray Droby, also of Unicleet. Between the three of them, they have over 80 years of professional mental health experience within Alaska Native communities. Furthermore, Josie and Elvina both identify as Alaska Native. Josie is a Nupiak and Elvina is Yupik. Between the two of them, there are thousands of years of cultural knowledge that has been passed down orally through generations. All three share different stories of how traditional ecological knowledge is still used in healing today. Josie Garni. My traditional name is Boyuna, and that's after my dad's dad's mom, great grandma. And she was actually I'm Inupiaq, but she was actually either Siberian or Chukotkan from the Russian side. Um, and I've worked as a village-based counselor here in Teller since I think February 1997. So, as she mentioned, Josie is a part of the village-based counseling program. This program was designed by the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium and implemented by Alaska Native Health Corporations across the state that established a training program providing behavioral health education to paraprofessionals located in rural communities. As most villages do not have a mental health clinic to refer to, these counselors act as an immediate resource for mental health patients. Elvina Turner, who you'll hear from next, supervises this program for the Norton Sound Health Corporation. I first started working in YKC as a community health rep, and I learned quite a bit about some mental health. And I have a sister that's mentally ill. And I had a daughter that just passed away in June that was Down syndrome. So um, I learned a lot of stuff just by reading it. And and my, my parents taught me a lot about mental health. Came to Alaska in uh, 1997. This is Dr. Ray Droby, a licensed psychologist based out of Unicleet. Throughout the podcast, I reference his recently published book, With the Wind and the Waves, A Guide to Mental Health Practices in Alaska Native Communities. In his book, he touches on how he can effectively integrate within Alaska Native communities as a white mental health practitioner without imposing Western colonial ideology. And uh, after seven years, I was burned out working in all the village, some of the village, three villages. And uh, I came back 15 months later. They still needed a psychologist, and, and I, I uh, wanted to go back. So, so. And I've been here since. So I've been devoted 24, going on 24 years. I, I, that's probably one of the draws here is that there's a lot of relational ties. And from my own background, I, I, uh, I think that was lacking. So. Mm-hmm. So that kind of plays into a super large chapter of your book, you know, relational culture theory. So yeah. how would you define relational cultural theory? 
Oh, yeah. For me, it's simply connecting with the person sitting before you. And, you know, that gets into the therapeutic alliance that, that is so important. Um, so relational um, therapy really um, reinforces that notion of uh, connecting with people and promoting a therapeutic alliance. So, and Alvina, how, how would you define relational cultural theory? Well, you know, it, it, it's really important to have to have to get that good relationship with a great. You, you have to make a good role model for yourself in the community. You, you, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's really important because nobody's going to show up in your door, you know, that they need help. They're not going to come through my door mm -hmm. if they need some kind of help. You have to make a good role model for yourself. Um, yeah, it's not easy being in your home village because everyone knows you. They know you either since you were born or since they were born or since they moved here. So just trying to be yourself all the time because people don't see you as a separate person after the job. So just trying to be yourself all the time and being trying to be sober, trying to be healthy. So yeah, just trying to be, be authentic and be real um, all the time. Could uh, both of you just touch how listening plays a role in your work. Yeah, for, for me, um, listening is such an important component in that therapeutic alliance, you know, shutting my mouth and allowing the client to, to talk. Um, what I have found is a lot of my clients, <clears throat> they've never had the opportunity to air their problems openly um, without being judged or, or ridiculed. Um, and so I create a safe, open, uh, personal space for them to share what's going on with them. And, and that requires being a good listener. Yeah, you have to really listen if you want to be a good counselor. Mm -hmm. and, and, and being you know, a good listener, you know, they know they can come back and vent I've had ladies coming in and every once a week, you know, to vent out, especially when they have problems or, or they call and just talk over the phone about it, that um, they had a rough week. You know, I need to talk. So mm -hmm. venting and talking with somebody really helps patients out. So, yeah, kind of in that same realm, you also touch on in your book, um, collaborating with patients rather than consulting them. Right, right. Yeah. So important, very important. Yeah. 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 Can you touch a little bit more about that? Like what that really looks like on the ground? You know, creating a treatment plan, collaborating with them on what, it, what goal do you want? What do you want to get out of here? You know, and, you know, what, what would be helpful? You know, asking them what would be helpful um, in this process, you know. I, I encourage clients to speak up if they don't like something I'm doing. Like if I'm offering them a, a trauma-informed method for working with trauma and they don't want to do it, please tell me that. And, you know, it gets into not imposing an agenda and going with the flow. Um, kind of throughout, um, especially the beginning of your book, you put a lot of emphasis on achieving mm -hmm this flow and the pace of Alaska native communities and really embracing that and how important it is to, you know, working in the behavioral health field. Can you touch a little bit more about, you know, implementing that pace and what that pace is? I think part of um, going with the flow 
with the wind and the waves is um, recognizing the strengths. So using a strengths perspective. Dr. Droby goes on to tie in strengths perspective with this, this flow state he's talking about comparing the diversity of strengths and weaknesses between different villages. So for example, a certain mental health practices such as community-based events may be a viable implementation in certain villages, but some other villages may resent that. So going with the flow in each and every scenario and recognizing strengths and weaknesses is really beneficial when applying mental health practices to particular situations. Because as Alvina points out, that every village is different. However, as Alvina, Ray, and Josie explain, the common ground across all different villages and all different individuals is the strength and values of their Alaskan Native culture. You know, when I look at the strength that our patients have is, is um, we, strong culture, culture values that we go out picking berries or we go cut fish or mm-hmm. we were there or seal hunting or, you know, we, there's a lot of different things that really support people in this community the value is the most important thing the cultural values yeah so she always reminded us just to value our traditional knowledge and skills and the importance of teaching them and using them when we're working with people so and like i right behind me i have our you probably can't see it but i have our about values up on the wall and like when i was working with youth one youth that were trying to think of ideas on ways to make it work because he wasn't not succeeding at school and with the school rules, and so we, one of my coworkers suggested getting the Inupiaq values with them, and so I printed those off, and we had him pick one per week, so he'd choose one one Inupiaq value, and he'd get to pick which one he wanted, and he would share how he was going to practice that at school, at home, and in the community, so three different ways he would practice that value for the whole week, just one of the best suggestions I ever had, because it, it worked, <laughs> and it was something that he was able to, that he was really proud to do. Yeah, and I, I reinforce that with my clients that, uh, you know, being connected to the land and subsistence is um, so healing. Coming full circle with relational cultural theory is the implementation of both simultaneously. That is, after building a relationship with a client, a practitioner should then facilitate relationship building between the client and their home culture. In the case of Alaska Natives, traditional ecological knowledge and subsistence practices are essential in building that relationship. As Josie points out, Subsistence is more than just harvesting food. It's almost like church for some people. It's, um, it's really spiritual. I asked all three professionals how they facilitate a relationship building between clients and their culture. Like maybe someone who didn't want to come in and talk, like come to the office and not open up and not speak and just really hard to get started. Then we might go out on the ice and be ice fishing. And that same person who doesn't say like more than two or three words at a time was just talking and talking and talking while we're ice fishing. Well, you know, I've, I've observed um, natives in this community, that the ones who really seem to do well, um, they have a real strong connection to subsistence activities. A person commented, you know, about his wife. When she's connected to her native activities, she, she's most alive, you know, and not depressed. So some people do youth camps as part of the job, too. So we're taking kids out and teaching them things where they take two different groups of kids out for a week at a time. And they live, they live up at camp for that whole time where there's no running water, no, no electricity, any of that. And they try to teach them to fish and hunt and eat, eat what they catch or eat what they gather. 
Um, so like sometimes we'll take people out because I like to pick greens in the plants and they're really healthy. Like the harsher the environment something grows in, the more nutrition it has. So like our plants that grow here are just like super packed full of vitamins and nutrition. And so teaching, just going out and teaching that to people like clients that we might work with. And so that they have, so I'm not just keeping that knowledge to myself, you know, sharing with other people. Mm. So it keeps going and it's something that will make them feel better and it's actually good for them too because a lot of people who come in sometimes the nutrition levels might not be that great but like if they know what to gather right here like right in our own community just you can just walk from your house and go get all this stuff they might have forgot like everything we're working on like during counseling but they remembered that feeling of going out there and getting the greens and it, it has like more than just one benefit you can benefit them physically you know the nutrition but also just the act of going out there and then sharing is the big part of that too. So you like, could you catch something, you get something and you share it with somebody else. It, I don't know, it's like a triple benefit. So she always encourages us to take people out when we can to show them, either show them the greens or show them how to, how to fish, how to prepare the fish, and put it away. It's, it's like, you know, um, the whole family doing subsistence and then you could see, see some other kids like um, when we, we went seal hunting to go and get some seal in Nugru. There's a couple boys that were by the boat and we asked them if, if, if they could go and ask their parents that they want to go with us because they never caught a seal before, they never caught Ugru before because nobody took them out to go hunting. So, you know, in family situations like our family, we all get together and we all go hunting. You know, and, and that's really important as we're growing up too, on my side when we were small and and our parents took us out all the time. And we asked them if they want to go and they hurry up and came back said our parents said we can go now. So, and we had to teach them how to hunt out in the ice. We had to teach them how to harpoon a group. And, and finally, <laughs> After losing some ogre group, they finally speared one because we had to show them how to throw it and stuff. So, mm. those are really important, I think, as families all get together and go out in different mm -hmm. places and go hunting and pick berries together. So, although you could really see how, how the family is so close together and doing things, and the values are still, you know, the our traditional values that your kids or somebody else's kids have, they carry through to somebody else too. Going off of that, you know, real family connection and emphasis on family, what are the role of elders in 2020? I'm elder. <laughs> <laughs> As elders, we have, to, you know, me and my husband always uh, train, train now. Uh, some people on how to do things and that's really important as elders mm -hmm. and then we're, we still go out and berry pick with our kids even though we're 72 and um, that's really important in our role model as an elder. I was at a, a meeting today at 12 noon with Native Connections there. They're um, forming a, a group where elders and teenagers come together uh, so um, there's some effort in uh, in connecting youth with elders. Mm -hmm. um, well, just one example is we do this program that I'm involved in called PC Cares, 
It's um, promoting community conversations about research to end suicide. And what we did was we had, there's a steering committee from the region that was made up of people who are not in behavioral health mostly. Um, so it was like just regular residents, that people that care. Um, so it was not like DHS driven or led. It was more community led and community driven, which was really great. But we had here in Teller, we had um, myself, an elder, and then two young people went to a facilitator's training. You know, I have had clients um, getting support, strength from their elders, and that, that's real important, yeah. They remember what the elders are saying to them, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's what's keeping them going. Mm -hmm. As everyone stated, elders play a valuable role in passing down traditional ecological knowledge to the younger generations. Moreover, their voices carry weight for many patients by connecting them back to their culture which we've seen to be an indispensable aspect within Alaska Native mental health. It is an understatement in saying these elders are important to Alaska Native communities. However, these relationships between elders, younger generations, and Alaska Native culture as a whole has fractured under the weight of severe trauma sustained to the elder generations via Christian missionaries, boarding schools, and colonialism. Those impacts still ripple into today. You know, the thing that comes to mind is I've had clients, people in their, their 20s, young 20s, coming in with the tears in their eyes because they go to their grandparents and say, please tell me about my culture. And, and the grandparents won't talk about it. And, and they attribute that to the boarding school influence where they were um, shamed about their culture. It, you, you have to look, really look at, um, was their parents brought up with subsistence lifestyle? If not, there it goes, they're not, you know, they don't have nothing, you know. And some people won't go out and pick berries, you know, we've noticed that in the community. And we don't know why that is, but in reality, when you look at it, it is coming from their parents. The parents are the ones that are supposed to teach them all these stuff, some what to pick, when mm -hmm. to pick them, you know, when to cut fish. When, when to pick, you know, food from the ground, you know, the ones that you can have. And so, you know, it really, when you look at it, it really is the parents that they have aren't teaching the sepsis lifestyle. The young people I have worked with, they've been, you know, really hurt by that, you know, uh, that lack of um, connection to the culture, you know. It comes from this family, then pretty soon their kids have their own family. They don't teach the subsistence lifestyle that they, you know, they, they should be teaching them. Mm -hmm. That's how come those young boys were happy to go, you know, ugro hunting with us, you know, and and, mm -hmm. and sometimes we look at these kids that aren't brought up, you know, with subsistence, subsistence hunting and stuff like that, and we'll ask them if they want to come with us so they can have that experience and stuff. I didn't even realize it was that big of a deal when I took someone out picking greens once and like, you know, I thought everybody knew what we have here and I guess that person, just, there was no one to show them. And so they were just like so happy and so thankful when they realized what, what to go pick. And like every once in a while they'll tell me like even years later that they went out and picked this or went out and picked that. But you know, some of the elders never had that before. So you don't see them out in the country and, you know, go and pick berries or cut fish or stuff or seal hunt, you know. Um, so that it's, it's kind of different not seeing other elders, 
you know, teaching their, you know, kids or their husband or somebody about subsistence. Since these fractures still exist between elders and Alaska Native subsistence culture, the pressure to mend these connections for younger generations fall upon mental health professionals such as Josie, Elvina, and Ray to transcend this intergenerational trauma and promote healing. And it was just something I took for granted, just growing up knowing. Because mm. it was an adult that I showed. It wasn't, it wasn't the youth. It was an adult that I showed the, all the greens, and they were just really thankful more than anything. When, when I work with people, if they're striving for sobriety, for example, um, I always like to emphasize that their good work in this area, progress, is not for themselves, but for uh, their family, their children, and also being a good role model in the community. So that um, you have an opportunity to stop the intergenerational trauma. When they mention, when I'm talking about stopping the intergenerational transmission of problems like addiction, I refer to this. It says break the cycle. It starts with you, and it talks about a father talking about when I was a little boy, my dad used to get drunk and beat me up. And then, and then I started doing the same thing with my son. And then I realized, my gosh, I have to stop this, stop, stop this cycle. I need to break it. People who are doing positive things, they have this, um, they, he calls it, I, I believe, indigenous generativity. It's where people realize that I'm doing this, I'm, I'm doing positive things for my culture, for my family, for my children. It's not only for myself. And I want to be a good role model. So um, because I don't want, when I leave here, I don't want my name to be added to that legacy of outsiders coming into a native community and, and making things worse, you know. That's really important in a, in, in a community. Yeah. There's somebody coming to a village they think they can change everything but in reality you can't do that you, ha you have to get used to the people you, you got they got to trust you as a new person that comes into your own village yeah. and you can't let anybody push you around you know somebody that's new in the position that we have as a mental health counselor just because we don't have that big degree up up here and we're down here and you can't let the, anybody push you around and let you know that you're you're less important. Elvina, so where, whether it be a teacher or even within the field of behavioral health, where have you seen people that are non-native come into the village and what their learning curves are like, and where they were successful and where they were where they failed? When my kids were growing the, the the teachers that are involved with the community are the ones that really get closer to the community as a whole you know because they're getting involved with their their kids their parents at the school or grandparents you know you see that how well they get along with with the community as if somebody like a teacher stays home all the time and they don't mingle around with the community they're not very popular you know it, it, it's something that you have they have to get used to the village itself and that's what i had to i'm not originally from here my grandparents are from unically i'm originally from nunibak island and i i was i was just because i had aunts and uncles it didn't mean i knew 
knew them, I had to, I had to make a change in my life to get to know everybody. However, there is one fracture to Alaska Native subsistence that Josie, Elvina, and Nora Ray can mend. The um, external influence of global warming, though, has affected this region tremendously. So, um, and and the fish runs have changed. Like uh, the the silver salmon run, this summer was poor, and and even the ones that they got, everyone was saying they're so much smaller. Yeah. So that was actually a question I had. Um, so how have you seen climate change directly affect Alaska Native mental health? Um, I have seen leaders in Native communities worried because they can't hunt the way they used to because of lack of ice. Um, and it's put a, a real burden on them. Um, you know, I'm thinking of Savunga out on St. Lawrence Island. Um, where they had no food, they had they weren't getting in one year, and and they were declared a, a disaster area. Especially especially the commercial fishermen, they they try yeah, and make yeah. money for the for their family during right. the winter because that's that's the only income they have. And right. silvers were really low, very low, not like how it used to be before. So they got to find some other way to feed their family. Looking at our interviews holistically, there are many parallels to draw. At its foundation, the success of mental health patients relies on the relationships built between client and provider, as well as between the client and their Alaska Native culture. To build these relationships takes empathetic listening as well as extra efforts by mental health professionals to heal the immense amount of intergenerational trauma that exists within Alaska Native communities. In short, it is within the strength of these individual relationships that rehabilitate entire communities from the shackles of colonialism. After all, Ecology is the interrelationship between organisms and their environment. It is no different for Alaska Native medical ecology.